Welcome to the Glory Podcast. We're so glad that you're listening. Our mission is to declare God's glory. Please visit glorychurchkc.com to hear all of our other messages. said before, my name is uh, Greg McKinney, and my wife and I are the lead pastors here at Glory Church, and the past few weeks, we've been diving in headfirst into the book of Daniel. I don't know if you've ever read the book of Daniel, but it is a story of consistent acts of bravery that uh, change a people, and so that has been the the, the hope. We titled this series Daring. Uh, I don't know about you, but we do not have a very daring faith often. Uh, we like to stay comfortable. We like to stay in our bubbles, and stepping out of that is a little hard. And so that's what this whole series has been about. If you um, would like to listen in, maybe this is week, uh, so this is week four. If you would like to listen into the past three, you can actually find them on our website at any time, uh, anytime at all. And so we'll be diving into chapter three this morning of, of Daniel. And I got to tell you, there is something, I have up here a candle. Don't worry, those who, that maybe this is your first time at Glory Church, this is not something we have typically where I, you know, light it and we do something weird, um, I promise. Um, but this morning I have it here for a reason because there's something all-consuming about a flame. In fact, if it was really dark in here, every eye would instantly look at this because there's something all-consuming, um, just all-powerful in our mind about fire. I mean, I think back to, uh, you know, the cavemen. Fire changes things, right? Like, that's a source of warmth, a source of food, a way that you could cook. And so there's something all-consuming. But I wanted, to, I wanted you to see as instantly this untouched wick gets consumed. Whoop. And uh, didn't last very long. Gets consumed. And slowly, what happens is, as we know, fire begins to decay things. It begins to destroy. Slowly, this whole thing is going to change. Uh, we, we sometimes like to have uh, candlelight dinners at our house uh, only because we have some, uh, some little girls, a six-year-old and a three-year-old, that think it's fabulous to have a candlelight dinner. Um, but then as, as you watch, slowly, it gets a little messy down here because fire changes things. There's something all-consuming. The heat of the flame is very real. I like to lick my finger and, and put it out, and my kids are like, wow, you're powerful. And I'm like, I know. And they're like, did that hurt? And I'm like, no, you're strong, Dad. I know. And they don't know that if you lick your fingers, you can't feel it at all. But we won't tell them that. Um, but there's something powerful about fire. It burns. There, there's so much power even in a single flame. I say all of this because there is one statement that I want you to stick with this whole morning as we dive into this passage because we're going to dive into one of the most well-known stories in the book of Daniel, the, the fiery furnace. And there's something I need you to know about a flame, that a daring faith owns the flame. A daring faith owns the flame. I need you to just write that down. It doesn't make any sense right now, but it will because I need you to, to see this whole story in light of the fact that they own what it stands for. They own how all-consuming, how fearful, how uh, all-powerful the flame seems. They, they, they take ownership of all of it and decide anyways to choose faith. And so we're going to open up because this is one of the most iconic stories. If I say Daniel, you think Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace. If we, you may not even know that that's in the book of Daniel, but if I said those names, you would know the story. There's just something so iconic. 
So last week's message, uh, before we get into chapter 3, you can have, have your Bibles there, have the app ready. Uh, before we get into it, I need to give you a little intro, because maybe you missed last week. Uh, it ends sort of at this very crazy place and then picks up instantly in chapter 3. Um, and so what's going on is King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon has this crazy dream, and it makes him angry. But he gets a little irrational and actually wants to uh, rip apart everyone's bodies if they do not give him answers. Like, that's how irrational he is. I'm the king, and if they do not provide me the answer, limb from limb, they will be torn. Uh, houses will be, will be burned, all of this. And so this decree goes out, and Daniel comes up and, through the Lord's provision, has the answer and so he tells the, the king the dream, and it's of a statue. And he says, King Nebuchadnezzar, you saw a statue in your dream. And at the top of it, the head was gold, and then the, the, the chest was, was silver, and then it was uh, bronze, and then so forth. Every, as you went down the statue, it was a different stone. And uh, he, he says, you are the golden head. And every, every kingdom that will come after Babylon is, is what falls at, under the, the statue. You know, you have a kingdom that maybe is lesser value, that, but it's going to overcome. It's going to overtake you. And then there's a kingdom of lesser value after that. And Daniel's desire in this was to show the king that kingdom of man will always spiral downward. But at the end of the, the vision, if you remember, this, uh, this hand that wasn't a human hand carves a stone out of the rock. It's a weird dream. And crashes it into the statue, and the statue is demolished. And this kingdom is not set up by human hands, and it will always endure and will always be there. And King Nebuchadnezzar says, you have the God of gods and the Lord of lords. Chapter 2 ends. I say all of that because <laughs> King Nebuchadnezzar doesn't get very far in this. We're going to read verse 1 of chapter 3 and go forward. It says, uh, King Nebuchadnezzar made a golden statue. Can you guys uh, lower this a uh, little bit for them? Uh, King Nebuchadnezzar makes a golden statue whose height was 60 cubits and whose width was si 6 cubits. And he set up on the palm of Dura in the province of Babylon. Pause, pause. He makes a statue. How many of you want to believe it's probably the, very similar to the statue he saw in his dream? Except this time, it's not just the head of gold. It's the whole thing is golden. And so it continues. Verse 2, it says, the king, the king Nebuchadnezzar sent for the satraps, the prefects, the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces to assemble and come to the dedication of the statue that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. It continues, so the satraps, the prefects, just in case you forgot who all was there, the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates, and the officials of the province assembled to dedicate the statue, again, that the king had set up. The herald proclaimed aloud, you are commanded, O peoples, nations, and languages, when you hear the sound of the horn, the pipe, the lyre, the trigon, the harp, the drum, and the entire musical ensemble, you are to fall down and worship the golden statue that the King Nebuchadnezzar set up. Whoever does not fall down and worship will immediately be thrown into the blazing furnace of fire. And so... The image in Nebuchadnezzar's desire was to set up this God, this, this view of perfection, and his hope was that the people would see and it would strengthen the kingdom. Think about it in a logical way. Okay, so if the dream had the, uh, the golden head was me, and then all of the other kingdoms below it overpowered me, maybe if I step into that now, 
showcase how strong Babylon could be and start getting them that mindset of how great we are now, then I bet no kingdom can overtake us. I can change that dream. I can change it. He's missing the whole point. The whole point was the ending of a kingdom that he could step into that was never ending, everlasting. And yet he thinks I can control the situation now. And so he sets up this idol and it was not a new God created by King Nebuchadnezzar. It was King Nebuchadnezzar trying to become a god in the process of it. This statue was to be worshipped, and it was the god of self, the god of success, the god of self-ambition, the god of temporary pleasure, the god of, of vain worth, of physical beauty, the god of creating your own outcome. I don't like how it's going to be in the dream. I'm going to create my own outcome. I'm going to make the rules. And this was a god of culture that he set up. And so the story says that, that when the music blared, everyone in the kingdom should bow. And if they do not, this was their answer. I'm going to blow it out before it starts making a huge mess. The flame was what was to come. If they did not, if they did not bow, it was this idol of self, the idol of, of uh, self being God, the idol of culture, and I got to tell you, when God gave him the symbol, it had nothing to do with us, but the enemy works in amazing ways. We can hear, I can stand up here and you can be a part of a church and hear consistently, God has a plan for you. God has, has, has a hope, a purpose that God's kingdom, you are a part of it. And he has a master plan to bring hope and change to your community. You can hear all of that, that God has a design and the subject that your mind, human hearts are strange, the subject that your mind will resonate with is me. I have a purpose. I have a plan. I have a reason. I have an existence. I, I, I. And the whole point of the dream was not Nebuchadnezzar. The whole point of the dream was the kingdom to come. But the enemy does something very good in, in his mind, in our, in, our, in our lives. If In his mind, if I can get them to focus on the us, the me, then I will distract them from the bigger picture, the source of all strength. And so he had it. King Nebuchadnezzar fell under that, set up a, a statue because he could control it, right? He could control it. And instantly, we all play into that narrative. And no, there's not a golden statue before us, right? But you and I, we bow down to the God of culture all the time. It's seen in our action. It's seen in our actions. If it betters our name, we'll do it. If it feels satisfying, we'll do it. If it, if it helps us and our plan and our plan of success, then we'll do it. If it numbs our pain, then we'll do it. If it makes me not have to worry or think about that or relive those emotions and it just satisfies me for this moment, then I'll do it. If it helps me not deal with that, then I'll do it. If it causes me to not have to step into that uncomfortable conversation with my, with my husband or wife, then I'll do it. We give in to this God of self all the time and don't realize it. And no, there's not music blaring, but when that proverbial music does blare, we all bow down. When that situation comes, when that fear happens, when that, uh, when that uh, thing happens, when things don't go our way, when everyone else is doing it, when no one else is doing it, uh, when it doesn't happen, when we feel like we're being pushed aside, when things don't go the way we want, when we want out, when we're uncomfortable, when things didn't turn out how we wanted, we start going to what our self wants. We start protecting. We start going numb. 
And this happens all the time. The God of self is worshipped. I have some, uh, some examples if you don't believe me. That app and that website is reopened. The lust is played again. Those thoughts rule your mind. When that, that addiction regains control. That, that checkout when your family needs you to check in. Uh, the, the friends, the job, it begins to dictate your worth. Those boundaries begin to be crossed. Why? Because the situation is so fearful and you think that it needs to happen. The marital tension turns to passive aggression. And we always, that situation occurs and the God of self is worshipped. The laziness keeps us careless. Our success becomes more important than God. Our worth begins to be found in the clothes we wear or the lack of clothes that we wear. Our success or our worth is found in in how many likes or how many follows or how many comments. The drink takes the pain away, so we'll do it. The drugs make it easier to not deal with the past, and so we'll do it. The, The God of self is so evasive in our culture. I could go on and on and on. It's so real, and the reason I know these things is because it's my story, right? We all have the story of bowing down to the God of self-comfort, the God of numbness, the God of I don't want to handle it right now, so I'll do this, the God of fear. And we, just like the Babylonians, the reason, can I tell you why? It's right up here. The reason we keep giving in to the God of culture is because, like the Babylonians, we fear the flame. Let me step into this. We fear the flame. We fear what would happen if we didn't bow down. We fear what would happen. I'll answer it this way. The the pornography, why that's so huge in our culture is because it silences our, our, our fears of loneliness and we fear our loneliness. So we give in to the God of self that says right now, we, the, the reason why addictions like alcoholism or drugs, why that is so evasive in our culture is because we fear our memories. And so we give in again and again and again to the doubts, the worries. We fear the flame. We fear what would happen if we live different. My wife actually were, and I were talking. Uh, it even goes as far as we fear not just failure in our life, but sometimes we fear success. Success. Sometimes you, in fact, what happened if you didn't give in? And things actually changed for the good. And you actually had to show up for people. That is fearful. And so we bow down again. Because we fear the flame like the Babylonians. If I do not do this and that will happen. There are so many things in our life. That if we didn't, I wrote it down, the friends, the job, they give us purpose, and we fear our small worth without them. The clothes, the money, the life, they give us value, and we fear our invalue. We fear confrontation, so we sit. We fear failure. We fear the success. We fear being seen. We fear being unseen. So many things drive our action and keep us bowed down instead of living in faith because we fear the flame. We fear what would happen if we live differently. We fear what would happen. And so the God of culture is worshipped. And in Babylon, the music blared and every one of the Babylonians bowed. The majority of the Israelites, the people of God, bowed because they did not realize that the flame is not greater than our God. 
But before we get into the ending of the story, because it doesn't stop there, right? We're not to live in our fears. We're not to live in the bowing down uh, of the God of culture. I have some questions for you. Here's the first one. When the proverbial music, and I'm going to step down so you can see it. When the proverbial music blares in your life, what God of self are you? Am I tempted to worship? Is it God of success? When you get worried and you get in this mode of, I have to perform, what is the God of self? When you get into the motive and the mindset that I need to get out of this or I can't deal with these thoughts or I can't deal with these emotions, what God of self is worshiped in your life? If you don't claim it, you're not going to own it. Uh, You're not going to move beyond it. But what God of self for the Babylonians Nebuchadnezzar made it very easy. It was fear. It was what if I didn't have this life anymore? We had to fend for ourselves. Nebuchadnezzar is giving us everything we need. So yes, let's bow down to him. Let's bow down. The next question is this though. What is the flame that we fear? Another way of saying this is what is that the very reason why you keep giving in? What is the very reason that you keep giving in? Another way to word it is, is what is the thing that has caused you to constantly compromise? Because there is a, a benefit to compromising in your mind. Maybe uh, it's because you don't want to be seen as hypocritical. And for the longest time, Christians in your mind have been hypocritical. And so it's, it's fearful for you to step out in faith and claim that. Because what if people start calling you fake? And so that fear keeps us grounded. We never step out. What is it that you're afraid of? What is the fear that has caused you to stay bowing to the God of self? Because I want you to know something. That's not the end of the story. There were three men in Babylon, a few, right? We know them by name, but sadly, as we'll get into next week, we know them by their Babylonian names, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Those aren't their Hebrew names. I'll give it a little little, you know, piece into next week. Uh, That's not their names, but that's the names that we stick with. Um, But Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they kept standing. And the story writes this. I will paraphrase at the beginning, and then we'll get into the words. When it happened, the music blared. These men kept going on. And so the, the officials, the Babylonian leaders, caught word of this. And it says that they came to the king and said, there are three men who, when that music blares, they keep going on their daily tasks. They keep going. They're, they're not paying attention to you, God. In fact, it says this, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, their names were disclosed finally to the king. They pay no attention to you, your majesty. They neither show... They neither serve your gods nor worship the image of gold that you have set up, that when everyone else bows, they keep going. I need you to know this. I need you to know this, king, that these three men aren't doing it. They're not doing it. I need you to write this down. Your attention feeds your action. I love the wording that it said, they pay no attention to you. They pay no attention to your, 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 your statue. Your attention will always feed your action. It's very funny because... Um, the things that we look at the most tend to be the things that we fear in life. Um, and it begins to, to, to fuel our action and change our attitudes towards things. What are the things that we spend our most time with? I promise you, it'll be connected with what you fear. Your attention feeds your action. And so if you constantly look at the success plan laid out by our culture, then you'll constantly fear the invalue that you have because you don't measure up to it. Your attention will always feed your action. 
And so while you do that, you never live in faith. And the, the same thing can go in every one of our fears, our worries. What is our attention? What is our attention? Because often it's more on the culture than it is on God's truth. And so I love this. The story writes that furious with rage, Nebuchadnezzar summons them. And he says, when you hear that sound, it's going gonna, it's gonna to happen again today. And when you hear it, you better fall. And I love this. And if you do, very good. The scripture says, but if you do not, you will immediately be thrown in the flames. And then he says this, and I, I wanted you to read this. What God will rescue you, this is verse 15, what God will rescue you from my hand. The enemy loves this, this word. Because instantly, what is uh, Nebuchadnezzar, the question, already downgrading? God. The question doesn't even, even pertain to our God. It pertains to this word God. And it's very interesting because naturally no God will save us. That's the answer and we get stuck with it. We often downgrade the power of God when we're struggling in our worries and our fears and we don't realize that he's so unfathomable and grand that that's the God we pray to. But the enemy just says, what God's going to help you? And we just resonate, yeah, I, I don't see a way out of this. So I'll just give in to it again. I'll just give in to it again. And Nebuchadnezzar, in his question, already discounts the glory and greatness of God. But guess what they respond? Because their attention is not on what he is saying. They say, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we're thrown into the blazing furnace, then the God that we serve, the God we serve, the God we serve, so like uppercase G, Right, like it, it, just I need, I need to re, reword what you're saying because it's not like the what God will deliver you. No, the God we serve will deliver us, and I love it. He they always say we, and they already say we, and He will deliver us from Your Majesty's hand. I love it because they don't know if they're going to be like alive or dead, but even in death they will be delivered from his hand. And they know that, like, I don't even care what you do because the God that we serve will deliver us. And it doesn't mean that we're gonna be alive, but even in death, and I love this, my, my mom, she, she passed away through cancer, but she said, um, when I die, and if I die because of cancer, it won't be because cancer killed me, it was because God allowed me to die. It was not like, and, and he delivered me from cancer, and it wasn't because he healed me, but he healed me. And, and I think we, we often forget, and that's when fear goes, because we get into this lowercase God, and, and we forget the glory of our God. But it says, uh, but even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold that you have set up, that even if he does not, we will take the flames. Why? Because we don't fear them. Even if he does not, we'll own the flames. We'll take what will happen. Even if he does not step in, we won't compromise because they knew something. I need you to know this. They knew something, that at the end of the day, God can do more with our obedience than he can our compromise. I need you to know that. Another way of saying is he can do more with my faith than he can my fear, period. I, no matter what is going on, what, what is next, what is before us, we can't fathom it. But one thing I know to be true is God can work more in my obedience than he can my compromise. And so I'm already shooting myself in the foot when I sit in fear because I'm not allowing that 
to, to even be seen and displayed. And so Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego knew God can do more with my faith than my fear. And so we don't care what you're doing, what you're saying, because you're not talking about our God. You're not taking into account my God. And so the story says being furious. If you want to keep reading, you can. Uh, he this says being furious. King Nebuchadnezzar looks to his attendants and says, turn it up seven times hotter than ever before. That's what happens. Turn it up seven times hotter than ever before. Tie them up. Bind them. And so then they get bound by his words, his accusations, and they're pulled over to the furnace and they're thrown in. And scripture says that the flames were so hot that it killed the the attendants, throwing them in. That's how hot the fire was. Guys, this is a real thing. This is a real, destructive, powerful thing. Often the things that we fear, there's some validity to it. There is some validity to it. But I will tell you that a daring faith owns the flame. Even if it hurts, even if it's as bad as I was afraid, even if it's as bad as you say, King Nebuchadnezzar, even if it is real and it kills me, even if it is just like you speak of it, I won't. I won't fear the flame. I'll own it. Because my God's worth it. He can rescue. He can do more than I can fathom. And he can do it. And I, I love this because at the end, faith says, I will take the flames over compromise. Faith says, I will take the flames over denial. Faith says, I will take the flames over fear. I will take the flames over compromise again and again and again. Why? Because it's going to happen. It's going to happen. And I'll take it. And what I love is uh, something beautiful happens in this. That the flames surround them. It goes all around them. The furnace is very real. It kills the people who are trying to throw them in. But it does not affect them. I need you to listen. It does not affect them like it should have. And there's something I need you should have. I'm very, very specific on this wording. It should have. Because there's something very interesting. When we own the flames, they don't affect us like they should have. Real story, when Kate and I were engaged, she didn't know I was going to tell this, but this is actually worse on me. She makes this face, eh, what's about to happen? When Kate and I were engaged, um, I had a lapse of integrity and uh, compromise, and I remember having to confess that to her and not knowing what would happen. And when we need to confess, when we've done something wrong, what is our gut response Everything will be wrong if I let make this known. And so we silence, we keep it, we keep it hidden because we fear the flame. But the flame doesn't hurt us like it should have because the one thing that we don't take into account is the unfathomable work of God. The unfathomable work of God, and so I confess that. And yeah, the flames were real. Yeah, they burned. Yeah, it was hard. Yes, there was some growth and change and and talking and conversations that had to go from it and months at times. But guess what? When I confessed, I was looked at by eyes of grace. And it did not burn like it should have. The world would have given different answers. The world was consumed by the flames when, when King Nebuchadnezzar threw people in. But it doesn't hurt us like it should have. Write this down. When we choose faith over compromise, 
The things that we fear, even if they happen, don't affect us like they should have. The feeling of being judged isn't as hard as it should. The, right? the feeling of dealing with your memories, the feeling of dealing with your pain, your past, ends up not hurting or being as hard or as deadening or as overwhelming as it should. And each of these things happen that it doesn't hurt. And the reason why is because something happens in the flame. Write this, the companionship of who is with us changes the experience of the flames. The companionship of who is with us changes the experience of the flames. And we do not remember that. So one thing that we cannot fathom is the unfathomable work of God when we step out in faith. And so we sit in what we can fathom and never choose obedience. But the one thing that you and I can't see in the success that God wants or in, in the next step that God wants for you or in the uh, confession that God wants for you or in the community that God wants for you. Some of you hop around church to church and never land. What, what, and it's because you're afraid. You're afraid of staying. You're afraid of, of, of being used there and the good, the good things because it's not going the way you want and so you leave. But I'll tell you, when we step into obedience, the beautiful thing that happens, the unfathomable thing, is the work that God has for us in the flames, in the difficulty, when you confess, when you choose sobriety, when you choose hope, when you choose uh, healing in your marriage, when you choose that, the unfathomable work of God. And so the story writes that the king says this, weren't there three, three men that we tied up and threw in? And he said, look, I see a fourth man walking around in the fire, unbound and unharmed. I, I see four of them, and the fourth one looks like the son of gods. The son of gods. King Nebuchadnezzar could see that literally there was a companionship in the flame that wasn't there before. And with anyone else in the presence of God transformed the flame for these three men. And this happens again and again and again. We have stories of this in our life. We would just claim them. When you stepped out in faith that one time, it was not as fearful as it should have been because the presence of God was with you and it changed the effect. It's like the licking of the fingers and the burn taking it out, right? It changes the effect of what the flame could bring. The flame changes things. And so I got to tell you, we have to take control of our attention over and over and over. So I'm going to blow this out because as we end this morning, I need this to be a symbol of something for you. I need you to see when I light this as the flame overtakes all that the candle is. And even now it starts changing the look of it. Can I tell you what you've been afraid of? Stepping out in faith instead will change you. But the one thing you're not taking into account is God's presence and the transformation. And so as we look at this, some of you need to start claiming, what is this flame that you've been fearing? And as it overtakes it, say, I'll, I'll own it. I'll take it. I'll take it. Because I choose faith over fear. Because what I can't realize is in this, God's presence is. That's the one thing my mind can't fathom right now on this side of the flame. So I'll choose obedience again and again and again over compromise. Thanks for listening to the Glory Podcast. 
For more information about this message or Glory Church, please visit glorychurchkc.com.